some meatloaf! Ma, the meatloaf! Fuck! Thank you to Will Ferrell for that intro. And thank you, shout out Matt, to, uh, for creating that for us. And uh, welcome to uh, episode number two here. I guess we can just start off with anything interesting that's happened to us this week. I'll start, I guess. Um, you know, I just worked a bunch and... Uh, What's your work like? What do you do? Well, yeah, okay, I guess I could describe that. Basically, we just open pools. Honestly, I think my favorite part of the job though is like actually like going into people's backyards and like seeing <laughs> <laughs> looking through the crazy. window <laughs> is your daughter home i see there's a cradle in the back room how old is your baby no oh, I see no, that, no i see that milk is close to the expiration date <laughs> you smell different when you're awake <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not look into people's houses just so we're clear. I wasn't clear, yeah. I just enjoy seeing what they've actually like created and done. It's like giving me fuel and like firing up my like creative juices for what I want when I'm gonna cr- build a pool and stuff. So we'll just throw it over to one of you guys whoever wants to go now. Okay, well, just to give you a sense of my daily life, you gotta, you gotta first uh, take a glimpse into my my daily grind. I, I wake up, I, uh, I drink about two liters of kombucha that I made the night before. <laughs> I then proceed to do two hours of handstand meditation, and then I, I go out, and I go out and I, I graze with my cattle for at least five hours. And after I'm done that, I, uh, I give back to the community and I donate my own hard-earned money to the poor. And then <laughs> my my mother's laughing in the background, so uh, that's a testament. <laughs> testament to the work I put in. But uh, no interesting things that happened to me this week. Uh, nothing. I've done nothing, but I have a lot of beef with a certain someone on Survivor. I won't get into it. I talked to Matthew about it a bit. He didn't seem to care all that much. <laughs> but if you if uh, if you're a survivor fan if you're a survivor fan and that you know you know um sarah sucked but luckily she didn't win my boy tony took the dub home two-time champ champion of the champs so happy at the end of the day how about you matthew yeah i didn't do too much either baby sat yesterday i relived the glory days of the golf course and did some sod work all morning so that was that was kind of fun. Other than that, um, didn't do a whole lot. Yeah. So that's a nice little segue into what we're starting this week because we didn't do it last week. But um, we each have a little something we want to bring up here in the beginning of the podcast. So um last week I asked for some ideas and fortunately nobody got back to me so uh <laughs> but yeah we're I'm gonna shout out to the loyal fans yeah shout out to our <laughs> shout out to the day ones I played it for my cat but he doesn't have opposable thumbs to answer in the comments so or to turn on turn it off <laughs> or to turn it off <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about, um, 
sort of similar to Matthew, but just more focused on our summer job last summer. Got some funny stories from that. Maybe I won't share a story today. Maybe I'll just sort of go into trying to explain the colorful characters that were part of the grounds crew at... Boom, we can't get fooled again. So I guess we'll just start with... Ah. He was our, uh, he was our boss. Um, what did we call him? I forget what our nickname was for him. Davy Jones and Cuckface McGee. Yeah, Cuckface McGee. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, wait, hold on. Maybe we should have some nicknames for this then and not, like, actually full-blown just like mention where it is <laughs> and not even like where it was because like that yeah okay dicey. this all occurred at a previous job that the, re- the three of us were involved in yeah may or may not have been a ah. may or may not have been in guelph may or may not have been owned by the- ah. <laughs> that's, that's so stupid may or may not be owned by a- ah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'll start with some stories from a past job that all three of us shared sort of go through some of the people that we worked with so i'll start off with uh let's call him what do we want to call el senora Pardon. el senora <laughs> yeah so i don't know i don't know how i would describe him he was uh an interesting man not somebody that i personally enjoyed working for but we'll move on to his butt sucking <laughs> Well, we'll move on to his butt-sucking, uh... Little henchman. Right, yeah. Uh, we'll call him, uh... The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll call him the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Again, not a lot of nice things to say about him. Lots of funny stories, though. Any fond memories from you, from your guys' perspectives of, of the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yes, I loved arriving every morning for the month I was there. <laughs> And uh, and being harassed right off the bat, yeah. Just not even just just uh, the simple s- simplicity of breathing <laughs> to a to a dark place. So uh, yeah, just take that as you will. He's a lot like a certain character in The Godfather, which maybe we'll bring up uh, when we're doing the movie review. I think I think my favorite part about it was about him was uh basically just pretend to be the perfect employee and then as soon as he had any sort of control or power he would just play uh candy crush all day. The army's finest. Yeah, the army's finest. <laughs> <laughs> he was too good to go to Afghanistan. If you don't stand for the flag for national anthem when it plays just think you're disrespecting a past army soldier such as him himself the hunchback himself yeah and if you don't and if you don't randomly shoot like 50 units of <laughs> of ammo into the air for no reason it was, it was more than 50 units he said it was like a hundred thousand um <laughs> yeah. pieces of ammunition we just had all this leftover ammunition just lying around and it was going to go bad because it expires like food at a grocery store. So we just told all of the untrained uh, reserves, just have at her, fire away. If you're not causing domestic terrorism, 
I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're not a soldier then. We can't we can't forget we can't forget I'm just gonna say his name because it's it's so important Scott we can't forget Scott yeah I don't think I don't think Scott could uh, afford any legal representation at any no point, he couldn't so. even afford a watch <laughs> so <laughs> people people used to have to drive over to wherever he was cutting when the day was over and say it's three o'clock time to go home <laughs> somehow even though it's free to set up he somehow could not he didn't have a bank account either so. <laughs> may or may not have spent several months and years in jail the only bad thing he had to say about it though was that the black people hated it when he whistled and that's on a good prison system in canada so yeah my thing of the week <coughs> oh dude i have my allergies started up so it was like mm. yeah my thing of the week tiktoks heavily into tiktoks loving tiktok don't let people trash talk TikTok. So can you explain what a TikTok is for the boomers out there listening? I can't even describe it. Is it somewhat similar to the newspaper? It's it's like that, but it's a lot better and the information is a lot more accurate. I couldn't decide between the two of them, so I'm just going to describe the two of them. First, we had a classic daughter taking a video for drunk mom. Drunk mom can't hold back the wine. She gets up out of her seat and sprints for the kitchen sink. To let it out on the way over however she lets her her loose lips sink her ship <laughs> and it goes spewing onto the floor oh. and she's running at such a velocity that she can't stop in time so she runs through her discharge <laughs> so as she runs as she runs through it she slips and lands right on her back on top of it she got the double uh. whammy she uh. committed social terrorism by vomiting and then proceed to put her back out. <laughs> so that's that's funny to me. That's something the news can't tell you. Second TikTok though that came in uh, tied with it for me. It just hit me out of nowhere. Probably not even that funny if I'd actually went back and looked at it again. But a video starts and all of a sudden the video just pans into the kitchen, and lo and behold, there's a dog that doesn't look like a dog. He looks like an old man. Dog's probably 20 pounds. He's got a mustache thing going on with his fur. And he has a birthday hat on. And there's balloons surrounding him. And he is celebrating his 10th birthday. But what makes the video good is that there's a look in this dog's eye. A look of terror. Something that he's just seen something horrific happen to him. And he's not loving it. Some sort of terrible and, crime has been committed behind the scenes. But we'll forget about that because it's his birthday. <laughs> we don't mention that on the birthday <laughs> it's your birthday smile okay sorry <laughs> okay Matthew what's your thing of the week we'll uh, blank her name out so that way we can maybe get invited back again but um, last year at the ah. party Evan, Evan hasn't heard this story you weren't even at that party I don't think yeah, you were on vacation. It was the New Year's one. And, uh, yeah, so the whole thing was kind of a bust. The pre was better. Yeah, the pre was better. We got to see uh, Will drunk. But I would say the uh, highlight of the party for me was when I went into the bathroom on my own near the end. I don't know what I had eaten that day, but it all just came gushing out in that bathroom. So... 
there were probably about 25 people standing outside of the bathroom door, Mac included, um, lots of women. And uh, when I sat up and saw the atrocity that I had committed in that toilet bowl, I knew I couldn't just dosy dough out of that bathroom door and act like <laughs> nothing had happened. But when I tried to flush the toilet, nothing, uh, nothing went down. So plumbing failed. failed it yeah. was kind of it was kind of a predicament. Um, spent a good like five minutes trying to figure it all out. Could have only been thirty seconds, but I was pretty drunk. Um, it was really forty-five minutes. Yeah, it could have been forty-five minutes too. Um, anyways, I found some uh, some stick or something that was underneath the sink, and you know I broke some stuff up and was able to flush stuff down the toilet. But how to dispose of the stick? So I resorted to opening up the the window and throwing it out the window but um, <laughs> the window went onto the roof of their house so that stick's probably still up there to this day i probably should have given some kind of a a warning for people with weak stomachs for that story but it is what it is life moves on do we want to uh hop on to the movie review yeah we can do the movie review cool so uh this week it was my choice for the movie i picked the godfather kind of a cultural touchstone in film history a lot of critics would name it maybe the greatest movie of all time or one of the greatest movies of all time american film institute and imdb both have it ranked as second all time it's based on the novel by mario puzo he also uh, wrote the screenplay for the movie and uh, at the time, it was a huge success story because um, going into it, Francis Ford Coppola, the director, was kind of seen as a flop. He hadn't really made any movies that had made any money at the box office. It was mostly B-list actors. Al Pacino, it was pretty well his first role. James Caan, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton. These are all actors that won Academy Awards later uh, in their careers, but at the time, they were all... It was pretty well their first major role. Um, and then Marlon Brando at the time, too. He was kind of a Hollywood outcast. He was one of the biggest actors of all time um, at one point in his career. And then in the 60s, he basically completely fell off, gained about 100 pounds, kind of just gave up on acting. And then um, he was called in to play uh, Don Corleone in this movie and um, ended up being able to revive his career one best actor for this role and then went on to make uh, a couple more movies in the 70s apocalypse now um last tango in paris i know for me i hadn't seen it in over 10 years and when you're 10 years old you don't really get a full understanding of what's really going on in the movie so i would say i definitely appreciate it a lot more seeing it this time it won best picture best screenplay and Francis Ford Coppola, along with all of the actors, uh, they went on to have massive careers after this movie was released. Coppola also made Apocalypse Now. After making that movie, he kind of went crazy, though, and didn't really make a whole lot after that. Um, he might be remembered for making a poor man's Benjamin Button called Jack. And it had a $6 million budget, which isn't very much. Uh, it wasn't much then and it isn't much now 
but it ended up making $250 million or right around that in the worldwide box office, which is pretty substantial. Um, and since then, it's gone on to become maybe the most highly regarded uh, movie of all time. So can you guys see why that is? Did you appreciate it the same way a lot of these critics have? Yeah. Um, so I guess like I watched it this morning for the first time, like you said, and uh, I enjoy these like crime slash mob type movies. I, I, I watched Scarface last year and it reminded me a lot of that because Al Pacino is also the main character in that and it's also based on mobs and stuff and cartels and all that jazz and yeah I mean I really enjoyed the movie and I'm interested to watch parts two and three and I will at some point but like like we were saying before we started recording I was sort of kind of halfway through this first part I was sort of thinking like maybe they could have just ended it there but I also can understand and appreciate why they actually made it three hours and you know the acting was was solid and one other thing I kind of want to like bring up while I have the floor is there was a whole bunch of like speculation about if this was like a true story right like if Puzo ever like got one of these stories from like a real mafia but like he also said he never did and it was like totally fictional and stuff do you guys think that this is like a real like sort of depiction of what actually happened because i think it's what like it's like the 40s or something that this was it's pretty well all like post-world war ii yeah mid 40s do you guys feel like this is actually uh like a real depiction of what the mafia looked like and sort of how it operated and stuff then i mean i don't have like a great understanding of what it was really like the only thing you can kind of go off of is kind of these movies pretty much I, I wouldn't think that it's completely made up like he definitely saw that stuff throughout his life or at least interviewed people that were involved in the mob when he was writing the book I'm sure you guys have seen all of the other mafia movies that have come out since this and they're all fairly similar I mean I don't think that none of them hold any truth to them and uh, I know like Sopranos I've been kind of watching that lately um and it's kind of set in the 90s but it's the same idea mafia family i know that james gandolfini the main actor uh he used to get mail and phone calls and all sorts of messages from real life mobsters telling him that they thought that his depiction of what the mob families are really like was like pretty well bang on so you look at that and then you compare it to this like obviously there's a 50-year time gap in when it's happening but I would assume that it's pretty well bang on as well I mean it wouldn't I don't think that it would be as highly regarded if most of the stuff that's happening in the movie is stuff that wouldn't happen in real life yeah what do you think Mac whether or not it's accurate yeah well yeah like you said i don't really have any real life experience to go off of to compare it to but um comparing it to other mob focused movies like the martin scorsese ones like um casino and goodfellas um you can definitely see the similarity between all of them and if they're all similar that can 
basically kind of just tell you like it's kind of just like either they're all super in your inaccurate or they're all basically as close to the reality of, of it as you can get and if you say it set like if what you said is true about um sopranos yeah getting uh those letters from actual people and saying it's pretty accurate then that's got to tell you something like i i've never watched the Sopranos, but from what i understand and what you've told me about it it seems pretty similar to how a godfather movie is laid out um you can definitely see how influential soap operas were for it see a lot of over dramatization of from some of the characters because soap operas like they always do like the classic oh he's dead but then he comes back because they found a heart or whatever but it's this time it's just like it's like oh no he's dying and it's like well he's actually dying because he got shot like 20 times so they're they're never like they never like make it seem out of worldly but definitely the acting is an old acting style um pretty similar to soap operas in my opinion it doesn't really make it doesn't make the movie movie any better or any worse it's just like you gotta kind of prepare yourself for it it's, it's not gonna it's not like a the same style of acting as uh, martin scorsese's gangster flicks those being more modern yeah i mean i would say that like everything about the movie the cinematography and the music and stuff it's all great but it's also definitely of its time so you can't go into it thinking like it's going to be another casino or Goodfellas or whatever. Like, um, it's definitely different from that. But if you're able to go into it and prepare yourself for something that isn't Goodfellas, then I think you can definitely still appreciate it. And that's kind of one of the big things you have to do when you're watching most movies, I think, is you kind of have to understand what the world was like when that movie was being made like you can't watch a 1940s film noir and expect it to be exactly the same as a movie from today because that's not going to happen but you can still appreciate it in a different way and probably still say it's a good movie anyways do you have a score for it well i'm, I'm just going to start from here on out just going to start like i kind of did last week and kind of like what you did last week, I'm just going to give it kind of two separate scores, like my personal score, like that just being like rewatchability and then like um, a critical score and the uh, actual critical score. So, okay. uh, pro probably my critical score, like you said, you mentioned the actual filming and stuff at the time. There's nothing quite else that was filmed as nicely as that. Certainly like the year it came out, but. Uh, it's got a lot of smoothness to it. Doesn't like it's not like choppy or anything. So the editing is really well done too. Um, the thing is, I would say that like the lighting and stuff also kind of does make it a bit of a grittier movie at the same time. I don't know if you feel that. I don't know if that was done on purpose or is just that's just how it was because their their budget or the equipment they were using. But it certainly doesn't it doesn't like deter from the core of the movie so um there's that but um yeah I, I wouldn't really like count that towards i don't think just because there's so many ifs but um certainly al pacino's acting alone is uh worth like an eight out of ten like he they uh, gambled on him but 
the gamble paid off because he like everyone else acts well in the movie especially if since it's like a soap opera tone but like um but Sheena definitely like holds it down and like makes it more than just like your average like gangster flick so you'd put Pacino's performance above Brando's? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, really? Because I've seen, because I've, I've seen like, uh, I've seen Marlon do other stuff before, and it's nothing like. It doesn't like blow me away. Compared to like his other stuff, like he's like, and it might just be because he's an all-around good actor. So it's like he never really. I've never like I know there's that string of like movies in the '60s where he's like pretty bad, but like I don't I don't know if he's like the reason they were pretty bad or if it was the movies as a whole because I haven't seen them. But um, he's never from the movies I've seen of him, he's never done like a poor job. So I don't really have anything to back that up, <laughs> compare that with. But Pacino's done like bad stuff. Like he's done like Jack and Jill, which is like <laughs> <laughs> considered one of the worst movies of all time, and like he was in that, and it was like. Yeah. so <laughs> i had that compared to so but yeah i'd say because like obviously you could say marlon's character can't be replaced but he's only in the movie for so long and then if you watch the second part of the godfather he's not in it at all and then it's and then it's uh pacino who like is carries that film well like i yeah robert de Niro. so didn't he win best supporting actor for that one Okay, was it lead? I don't know. Anyways, but yeah, like Pacino, like consistently is like what carries a storyline that goes through him. Like everything in the movie basically goes through him, and if it doesn't work well with him, then you basically have a a shite movie. So, um, I would say Pacino is definitely the core of it that makes it a good movie. So I'd probably give it, um, all things considered, like a a nine, just because I can appreciate for the quality, especially the time it came out. I can appreciate the acting, but then, um, on a personal scale, like if I go back and watch it, like I probably won't watch it again for a long time. Not because it's a bad film, just because like I don't personally have any desire to really like go back and revisit it that often. So I probably give it like a, um, like an eight. Yeah, I mean, kind of going off of what Max said, um, I wouldn't necessarily have any desire to go back and watch this one especially because it's a three-parter and that's over nine hours to watch the whole thing it's kind of a time commitment um i i really enjoyed that like the like al pacino and and sort of all that acting i i enjoy these types of movies but not necessarily to the sense that I would want to go back and rewatch it because you kind of understand that it's like a, it's a mafia movie. People are going to die, you know, because they pissed off somebody in the family or somebody else in another family. And there's always these little fights going on between these bosses and mob bosses and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. I would say, I guess I'll just jump on the same bandwagon as you guys and give it two scores. Um, personally, like it, obviously it's a it's a classic movie, and I would probably give it like a mid eight, like an eight five or something. And then 
I mean, critically, I don't really know a lot about what goes into making those, like, giving those critical scores. I guess, like, there's all these different aspects that you guys would have more of an idea than me, but stating that it's, like, the second best or critically second best movie of all time is kind of hard for me to understand. Um, But, like, I guess you could just say critically it's higher than what I gave it personally because of, you know, what other people have said about it and what the critics have given it and stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of where I where I stand on it. I'm excited to watch part two and three, don't get me wrong. You wouldn't go back and watch this one? I don't know. Like, to me, mo- like, all mafia movies that I've seen are, it's, like you guys have said, are sort of similar, and it's kind of the same idea. Like, there's bad blood and blah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if I'd need to go back and watch it. Okay. So I guess I'll give I'll give it two scores as well. Um, personally, I'm not really as much of a gangster movie buff as maybe you guys might be i've seen a lot of the bigger gangster films but they don't really do it for me like some other movies might that being said though next to godfather part two i would say this is my favorite gangster movie so personally i would probably give it like an eight three but critically i can totally see why it would be placed so high like it basically launched the careers of some of the biggest actors in the world made a ton of money the script is great like a lot of the styles and stuff like the lighting and all of that is something that hadn't been done at the time but ended up being kind of a touchstone for the 70s they see it in a lot of other movies from that time after this movie comes out um french connection comes to mind so i would say probably like a nine five for me critically yeah i don't know if there's really much else to say about it honestly yeah i think we basically burned through that okay so you want to go into sports now sure i think mac you said you wanted to sort of dive into formula one for a bit oh yeah all right so um when it come out like two years ago when it came out on netflix the first season of the Formula One documentary kind of like mini series um, instantly hooked me. So I started following it for the past year or so. Unfortunately, we haven't had any action this year because of Rona season. So um, it's all been each, essentially each weekend. Uh, there's like a three day, it starts Friday. There's like this kind of like testing you get to see the track you get to make the final touches on your car and then saturday you do the test runs and depending on your time on that that's how you place and start off the race on sunday um and since it's such a it's such a international sport because you're essentially in a new country every weekend uh racing at different places all over the world um they had to shut it down because there was no way of them actually like containing it properly. So if something did break out while they were there, so they haven't raced it all yet, but there was a bunch of uh, news about drivers for next year. Cause they're not even sure if they'll be able to drive uh, at all this year, but a lot of contracts are uh, up by the end of the season. So some people were moved around. So there was um, Carlos signs 
uh, a young, I believe he's 25, young Spaniard. He's pretty good. He's up and coming. Um, he he is racing for McLaren this season, uh, but next season he'll be at Ferrari, which will be interesting because he'll get a new powerhouse for a car, something he hasn't had before. Um, McLaren being like basically the best car he's had in his career so far, but he shows a lot of promise and Ferrari seems to be kind of going towards younger people like a lot of teams are doing now, it looks like. So he'll be racing alongside Charles Leclerc and Charles, I, Charles, I think is like our age, like, I, I, or like he's either 21 or 22. I'm not sure, but anyways, he shows a lot of promise. He had a pretty decent season, uh, last year. Um, I think he like is in second or third for like the youngest ever person to win, uh, win a first place at one of the race weekends, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, Carlos is going there and then to take up his spot at McLaren, uh, my boy, Danny Ricardo, Australian guy, super sweet. Uh, I believe he's 30. And he's moving from Renault to McLaren, and Renault was is a French uh, car manufacturer, and they've had like a good history, but recently they've been kind of ass, and they were supposed to be pretty good, or competing for at least the fourth or fifth overall position last year, but um, they kind of shit the bed and didn't really make a competitive car that would be reliable enough for Danny to do well in because he was he. Uh, raced for Red Bull Racing, which they're consistently either in third or second the past five years, so he had a pretty good car, but then he moved on because he was no longer the first, um, the go-to guy there, ended up being a younger guy, Max Verstappen, but, so he went to Renault, but the car sucks, so he hasn't done well, so, uh, yeah, he's going to McLaren, hopefully that car will do well and can handle what he puts into it and then but like right now up in the air is this other um guy that uh carlos sign took his spot at ferrari um sebastian vettel he raced for ferrari he's no longer racing there obviously but it hasn't been decided where he's gonna go but he's arguably one of the best drivers of the 2010s so it's gonna be interesting where he ends up um Honestly, he start he won four championships with Red Bull back in like the early twenty tens. So he's really he's got a lot of accolades. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went back to Red Bull, but it might not happen, but who knows? Um he might honestly just end up going to Renault, but hopefully they can get a good car for the him then. Especially since he's used to such high caliber uh machinery. But other than that, nothing really, no other big changes have been made. But uh, it'll be interesting because in the t- starting the 2021 season, they're going to be implementing some rules to allow, to basically bridge the gap between Force and Max because the problem is with uh, Formula 1 is that the more assets you have as a team, then basically the better your team is more likely to do in the season. So they're the more high caliber drivers and they race with all of them and then the assets are basically spreading out and they can compete even in the season, compete with each other. 
I was just going to say, like, essentially, like, I don't know anything about F1, but, like, essentially, if you have a bunch of money, you can put it into your cars and basically just win, right? Like, assuming you have some competent drivers. Yeah. Well, that's what that that's what happened with um, Mercedes. Mercedes was going on, like, a pretty long, like, streak of not doing that well. And then they started investing more into their staffing, into the actual like engineers that are implementing it. And then they had, they had a Nicky Lauda. I don't know if you guys knew who Nicky Lauda was. He was a really good F1 driver. Movie Rush is based on him and James Hunt's like a rivalry, which is a really good movie, even if you're not a, a race car fan. Yeah, basically they brought in uh, Nicky Lauda and he, became a really uh, strong aspect of revitalizing the program and making them a winning team. And then they, ha then they had, a, well, probably the best driver of the 2010s, Louise Hamilton. He came in and started racing for them, and then he's won, like, five championships with the team since, like, 2014 or something. So, like, he's just, like destroying the competition but it's interesting definitely the economics behind it definitely play a huge role in all of it i i got a couple points to throw into to this sports segment it's sort of come out in the last like day or so so i don't know if you guys have heard or listened to any of it but like the mlb right now is trying to figure out some plans on how to go about like revenue sharing and all this jazz that really has like been the biggest story this past few days like how the owners and players association can't really agree on how to share revenue and basically like from what i've read and and researched and stuff like the owners are sort of being greedy so this report that came out like a day ago is saying like the MLB has basically um, told the Players Association that based on an agreement that they had like in March, if they go about starting the season this way, um, each game that they hold is going to cost somewhere in between like six and seven hundred thousand dollars. Like basically that's how much the league is going to like lose or whatever. So the owners want to share, do like a 50-50 revenue share with the players. But the problem with that is um, the owners own and have access to so much more money. If they do like a revenue share, it's, it's sort of like, uh, let's say the players make like 30 million or whatever, but the owners make like 300 million. The owners are going to get 150 of that and the players are going to get 15. Like they want to be fair with the owners. They're like, they're basically saying like, no matter how we play this year, like basically we can't have fans and like people are going to lose money, but the players and the players have said they don't want to. No, they, they've said like they want to play. And if that means being paid less than whatever, it's fine. But the owners 
don't want to basically sacrifice a bunch of money even though they're already like billionaires or whatever yeah like to go off of what you said to give you an idea of like how much money the owners have like blue jays for example they're owned by rogers communications and the rogers family alone is like has over 11 billion dollars it's just kind of ridiculous like it's it's making the the league look stupid because they can't agree on a way to share revenue it's it like the owners look greedy and the players look like complaining about stuff and it's just not like a great look and like i wish that they would do it the way the nba's done it basically like the nba sort of just given like the, the players and the owners have just sort of given adam silver like basically whatever you decide we will do like because it's like he has like the best interest of both sides they've already started to sort of open up some practice facilities or whatever blah blah blah. like yeah i don't know i just don't like the way that the mlb is being shown right now and even if the pandemic stopped right now i don't think they would be able to play just because of how messed up their relationship is the owners and the players money's always kind of been an issue not just baseball but like every sport that's always kind of the thing that the athletes seem to talk about maybe sometimes even more than the sport itself which is too bad because really at the end of the day all those players are lucky enough to actually be able to make a living off of playing a sport that they love they literally do what children do but they get paid yeah <laughs> and it's i don't know i mean it's it's about the sport and it's about people watching it and stuff it's and pl and like the players playing it it's not about them making millions of dollars obviously it's important that they actually make a living and that they can support their family and stuff but it's kind of annoying i think for a lot of fans that money is always kind of the prominent topic in most sports talk and i mean the money itself even if like none of these leagues start back up they're they're losing more money than they would even if they did start back up because of all like the tv deals and all this stuff so yeah i heard that the nba stands to lose like 900 million dollars in revenue if they don't host the nba playoffs that's easy money yeah that's easy money at that point it doesn't even matter if like who gets what like in terms of owners and and players like you're everybody's losing money so and like all the fans we have nothing to, to to watch to do so it just sucks all around for everybody i guess another sports thing we could bring up you guys see mike tyson came out of retirement and he said he was gonna fight somebody else i forget what it was i've heard that he's had like several several people come up to him saying they want to fight i mean i'm sure probably any boxer in the world would love to fight mike tyson so but he's what like 50 something now, 53 isn't he? i think yeah like uh, yeah but have you seen the videos of him like he can smoke oh that that comeback video or whatever that was was scary <laughs> i didn't see it oh you need to go and watch i don't even know like how you calculate it but like you would actually have to like do some sort of like calculations with like pressures or like pressures at which you can like hit or like speed at which you can like throw punches to actually measure to see if he's lost anything because i honestly by looking at the by like looking at the video like i don't think he's lost that much from like what he used to be able to do 
Well, I heard that um, apparently when he stopped fighting, he stopped working out because he said as soon as he starts working out, his ego starts working and then he just wants to get back in the ring. So he said after he retired, he pretty well just stopped working out. And uh, I think recently he got back into the gym. Um, and as soon as that happened, um, he started talking about a comeback. Game over. And I think his statement was like, the gods of war have reawakened my ego and I'm ready to go into battle again or something like that. Like it was like really <laughs> epic. <laughs> his his yeah. coming out of retirement statement, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Nice nice little segue to our last sports topic there with uh, the new MJ documentary episodes. I loved his uh, retirement statement, just the I'm back. That would be definitely more my my uh if i was a superstar athlete that would be my way of coming out of retirement just saying i'm back if i was black and six foot eight and can dunk on anyone that would be my (laughs) well i'm not saying i'd be a i'd be a superstar athlete in basketball obviously that's not oh trust me i know i know you're not gonna be oh i'm better i can shoot better than you don't even (laughs) i'm like steve kerr over here hitting clutch shots and the NBA Finals. I think I think he averaged like four like points a game, but okay. getting punched in the face by Liam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But, yeah, but uh, like you guys said last week or predicted last week, that first ep- new episode was about his baseball and like his baseball career and him retiring and his father being murdered and like I said last week, I don't necessarily know all that stuff because i don't know i'm just i'm i'm really just watching it just to sort of learn and see about some like see some of that stuff that's happened to him like most of the stuff that i'm watching through the documentary i didn't know before i feel like that's a lot that's the same for a lot of people though well i mean he's a really private guy so i think like even if you're the most diehard michael jordan fan you're still learning stuff watching this yeah like i didn't I didn't know that his father was murdered and then that that's kind of the reason why he retired like also because of the, all the media and he was just tired so that that was why he retired but um yeah like that's crazy to me like how close he was with his dad and just how that happened like I don't know how he didn't just like completely like fall apart and like just disappear like that's because I feel like if I was me in that situation, that's what I would have done. But I guess that's just a testament to his his character and why he was he's arguably the best, one of the best athletes of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just like his demeanor and stuff, right? That's just his mindset, and you see at the end of the first episode of the two last week, like the episode ends with him getting up and leaving and taking a break just because he was so emotional talking about um yeah yeah the way he's perceived and trying to defend his whole philosophy for life and stuff right like obviously the way that he's lived his life and the image that he's created for himself obviously it's very important to him and uh, i think when the interviewer brought that up it was probably something he didn't want to talk about very much and you can see that when he just gets up and says break and walks away 
Yeah. And actually, I was watching uh, a clip from ESPN the other day. They were interviewing the uh, director of the the documentary, and uh, he said that, that I guess uh, their interview process with Jordan was eight hours long. And he said that uh, that particular part happened 15 minutes into the entire interview. Wow. Yeah. So he just started off the whole thing with a bang. Like, let's talk about, like, the most, like, uncomfortable personal things that we can right off the bat. Pretty much. Yeah, I don't know if I would have done that, but. I th- Well, it, apparently he basically did all the planning and stuff over the course of two years and had kind of been planting the seed in Jordan's mind for those two years that this was the kind of stuff he was going to be bringing up and that he had to be prepared to answer these kind of questions. Yeah. It's a great documentary. Oh yeah. It's it's it's, awesome. I've not really watched a lot of documentaries in my life, but this is easily the, the best and like the, the most recent one, they're basically like almost to the point where they've connected the two timelines, like how they keep going back and forth. They're almost like through the 96 in the early one and 98 in the last one. But yeah, I don't know, like just seeing some of those like players and all the like, like I don't really know a ton about that sort of like NBA part, like the that part of history, but like some of these other guys that I've heard of like Carl Malone and like Reggie Miller and all these guys that are like legends that and like are starting to like appear and it's like sort of like getting closer to like near the end of his career and like the last dance and stuff but it's just really cool seeing how he interacted with all these guys and like how they all like looked up to him and like wanted to be wanted to beat him basically yeah I would say my favorite part about the entire thing is every time you think that he's like done or like like somebody's gonna beat him he just finds like some sort of like something to motivate him yeah and like and then he just like like just like destroys them in the next game or the next series or whatever like the most recent episode of, of him playing against uh that old teammate of his who was on the Hornets. Yeah. I forget what his name is. CJ like the, something. Yeah, like our Armstrong or something, I think is his last BJ name. BJ or yeah, something like that. Yeah. How he like, yeah. he like beat, like he basically bettered Michael in the game two of that series and like tied it up when they were just supposed to sweep them. And then he was like, like chirping him kind of. And Michael was like, okay, so now, now I'm going to attack you and now I'm just going to, like destroy you or even just that other guy uh can't remember his name he was on um orlando yeah not grant not grant but the other guy that like had like a 37 point game against him and he was like horrible that game and then the next day it was like a back-to-back they went into or maybe it was washington i don't know yeah it was some other team i think but yeah he goes into that team the next day and puts up like 48 on the guy and like says that at the end of that game before the day before he he put his arm around his shoulder and said good game Mike, and that was all like he needed to just go and destroy him the next day. But in reality, that didn't even happen. He just created that in his mind to like motivate him to like go and just dominate. 
I don't know. That's I think that's my favorite part about the documentary is just to see how somebody could do that. Like I I don't even have a a concept of how I would do that. Yeah. Like Yeah, it's crazy. This is like not talking about his goat status, but um something that actually like shocked me. Like I already knew his beforehand I knew his like father had been like mysteriously like killed or whatever by those random guys. But um I th- it blew my mind. Like it's it shouldn't have shocked me that much that reporters like would make such outlandish statements just to like get more readers or whatever. But um, it was it blew my mind that people were like had the audacity to try to connect his father's murder to like these supposed not even proven statements about his gambling addiction that wasn't even like proven or wasn't even a thing. And they were somehow trying to connect that these guys were, uh, these guys were getting back at him for like payments he hadn't met. Even the guy who I forget what his name is, but that guy who like would like regularly write like kind of like not contra- like somewhat controversial like articles about Michael and stuff. Like the guy that was uh, from the Chicago Tribune or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he was like known to have like wrote stuff that would like uh, poke at him sometimes in the wrong way. And even him, of all people, were just like, like, why would you? Like, there's, <laughs> there's no reason for that. Like, Yeah, it's just like tabloid garbage. There's always got to be a conspiracy for something. Yeah, but something, like, I'm not, I'm not a huge uh, baseball guy, and I don't really know much about player history, but I kind of just assumed, I didn't even look into it, but I kind of just assumed that, like, Michael was like pretty ass when he played baseball but honestly by the sounds of it from the documentary i haven't looked up the stats to back it up or not but they kind of made it seem like he wasn't even that bad like he kind of had a he had a good start he just had that like that like one month and then he got bad but then he like just put in the work and kept getting better and better and the one guy talked about how if he just had stuck with it and continued to put in the work, he would eventually have made it to the major league. I mean, the fact that he was able to start off his baseball career in double a is crazy because nobody does that. Even like they did that for the media though. Right. Like they said, but yeah, it's still crazy that he actually was somewhat successful in double a. Well, and another thing they didn't mention was that he had almost 50 stolen bases for the team. Oh really? Which is pretty substantial as well. Like that could that those kind of numbers could like lead the major leagues. Obviously, yeah. you probably wouldn't translate to as many in the majors, but if you're gonna get 50 stolen bases in a major league season, you could be the stolen base king for that year. Yeah, that's that's a nice little segue into my one of my questions. That that like multi-sport athlete and like success in another sport. So, I mean, obviously we know, like, the history of, like, some of the the guys that have been successful with that, like Deion Sanders and, Bo Jackson. and like, I get, yeah, Bo Jackson. I guess you can even throw MJ in there and, um, like, sort of recently, like, what about Tyler Tim Murray, Tebow? I think. <laughs> Tim Tebow. I, Tim Tebow's still playing baseball, isn't he? He's, like, no, he's I think stuck. he's done. No, I think he's oh. done. Yeah, he's just but he it. never made it past, like, single no, or was, double A, didn't ass. he? He, was, yeah. I, he might have made it to double A, but yeah, but yeah. So my question is like, of any current 
pro athletes like not including like those current ones that we know like Kyler Murray like do you can you guys think of anybody that would be that is like a successful star maybe not even a successful star but like just a successful athlete in one sport that could go to another one and have some success too well I think you look at the two greatest current players in baseball and basketball like LeBron James and Mike Trout could both probably easily go into football and uh be a star yeah so you think like the easiest transition would be to football from any sport um i guess it depends on the athlete and the player but i would say based off of their history and their athletic build mike trout and lebron james would be like prime candidates for an athlete that goes and plays football yeah yeah like lebron in high school was like all state player like the two years he played he only played two years yeah and i think he led the state in touchdowns and yards received or something so that alone and like the guy's just like he's like he's not built like your average nba player like he's thick yeah (laughs) and he's lean and mean so it's like I don't know, like, obviously, I don't think he could play at the age he plays at right now. No. Um, I would not recommend Because that, not even NFL players really play at that age. No, you, like, you wear down so much quicker. But, uh, yeah, definitely I could see LeBron doing that. Also, like, I, well, a, lo- a common theme that's happening now, too, is you see a decent amount of players, because, um, like, football is such, like, a popular sport like american football but like the actual like available spots to play professionally are pretty limited in comparison to the number of people who are actually good at it so a lot of times you're seeing people transition to rugby overseas or even like the the major league rugby is starting to pick up in uh north america in the past couple of years so you see some of that happening you also see a lot of football players going over to Australia and playing Australian football, which is like completely different sport in itself, but like the basics are there. And also like there's a lot of basketball players that I've noticed, like you just see at like warm like doing warm ups and stuff, like you'll just see like posts about on from like House of Highlights or whatever, Bleacher Report and like you see the odd uh basketball player who um especially the ones like Siakam and uh, Oladipo that come from overseas um, and come from like Africa you see a lot of like a lot of good like basic soccer skills so I feel like you could definitely like the smaller ones because like soccer is a pretty like it's not height doesn't really matter in soccer all that much Um, but yeah definitely a lot of overseas players especially like I've seen Luca do a lot of soccer stuff too and I feel like it was just a matter of them choosing at a certain age, like which one they were going to put their full effort into. For sure. I'd say that the sport that's the hardest to translate into would definitely be hockey. I mean, hockey, there's probably a lot of hockey players that could go and play another sport. I know there's a lot of hockey players that grew up playing baseball. Um, But I, I can't really think of anyone that, could go from playing football or basketball or baseball into hockey there's probably some but 
Um, I mean, no way you're going to see shock on skates. Yeah. Or yeah, the, the whole skating. Really any just... of those other big stars that especially like I think basketball to hockey would be <laughs> like something impossible. You, never, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't see that. Yeah. Um, or even the other way around, like from like. Basket, yeah from like hockey to basketball like you're not like that's yeah it was just yeah hockey's just such like a there's so many factors that go into making a good hockey player that it's just it's not translatable to like any other sport really i don't think probably the closest it's, it can be translated to is something like lacrosse or something but golf golf yeah, yeah. even baseball too baseball for sure yeah. i mean i think uh wayne gretzky i think still says that baseball is his favorite sport I think uh, drinking wine is his favorite sport right now. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> yeah, so are we gonna are we gonna do the album review now? Sure, we can go into that. So, I picked. I also picked the album for this week. Um, this week's album is Kiwanuka by Michael Kiwanuka. Uh, I'm gonna keep this bio relatively short. It's a pretty new album. It just came out last year. It's one of my all-time favorites, for sure. And uh, the artist himself, uh, I've been a fan since his first album in 2012. I've got all three of his albums on vinyl. And I hate to say it, but um, I think this album might be even better than Chris's uh, party playlist. So maybe that's a hot take. But <laughs> That is the world's um, hottest take right there. Yeah, so uh, Michael Kiwanuka, he's a... British singer, songwriter, and producer. I would say at this point in his career, he's somebody who is very popular amongst the critics, but still hasn't really reached the level of fame that he's probably capable of reaching. Um, yeah, for whatever he'll probably reason. break out. He'll break out soon. I for sure. Um, he's had a couple of relative hits. His second album actually debuted at number one on the British charts which is pretty big. I'm assuming he's probably bigger in Britain. Just looking at his charting around the world, this uh, this album that we're talking about, um, it was number three on the British charts, and I think it was like 145th on the American charts. So he still probably hasn't completely managed to cross over into mainstream in America, maybe even worldwide. Obviously, he's found an audience in Britain at this point, um, and uh, he's got a general following in different places of the world. But um, The Guardian called this album uh, one of the greatest albums of the decade, and uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, what do you guys think, though? Yeah, originally we were supposed to do his second album. But after going through that one, it was definitely not the type of album I go for. And I'm assuming Evan kind of had the same uh, kind of vibe with it, too. Um, yeah, the, the problem with that album, it's pretty soulful. It's a huge chunk to consume, especially at once. Like, it's a lot to take in. Um, and a lot of the songs, like, it, I... Uh, what makes a good album for me is some good variety like we talked about last week you have some of the hits and then you got some that are kind of like sleeper hits and then you kind of got some songs that aren't even like traditionally uh built like a, a song 
like a pop song they're just something that is unique to the creator themselves and that's what i like a lot about this album you get a lot you get a little bit of everything um but also i'm just a huge like i'll like when i do chores or like just do like when i study or whatever i'll throw on jazz and jazz is always like kind of like a go-to um thing for me to listen to while i do a lot of different stuff and this has a lot of uh jazz vibes in it which i appreciate also he just has a really nice smooth voice so um but he also has a lot of range with his voice which is also like what to me makes a pretty complete performer um probably my favorite song of the album it's it's pretty hard for me to choose but like you ain't the problem the first one is really good um even like even the last one light is good hero is good that one sounds a lot like a hendrix song to me all along the watchtower like it's it's pretty well the same kind of chords yeah and then yeah there's this like there's no songs in here that I would. There are songs in here that I would gravitate towards, but if um, I was just playing through the album, there would be nothing in here that I would skip. How about you, Evan? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of not into the whole like soul, like sort of vibe that it gave off, but at the same time I can appreciate his talent and like the way that he goes about you know some of these songs on this album like I I enjoyed some of the songs for sure and like I guess it would sort of depend on what mood I was in but I would probably go back and listen to some of them um some of the album was kind of boring to me but um just like one other sort of like main thing that I like I kind of did like I just looked him up and some of the stuff that he'd done before like I was reading a little bit about like how like I don't know how long ago it was but he had like an opportunity to take part in like the creation of Yeezus with Kanye and but he decided not to like he sort of just backed away from that I don't exactly know why. Well, he's also kind of a reluctant star. Like, he he strays away from the spotlight a lot. And I think you see people like that a lot. Like, he's got a lot of talent, but probably wasn't wowed by the fact that, like, Kanye wanted to do an album with him. He was probably like, well, I'd be more interested in just writing my, Doing own, my music. own thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of what I admire about about him as a person, as an artist. Like he didn't really, I guess he just didn't really feel like doing that. He felt like doing his own thing and like he created his own music and like he was kind of saying like, you know, I created my own music. I'm happy with it. Like if people don't like it or accept it, I don't care. Like I'm just happy to be doing what I like. And like, I really respect that about when artists do that or when people do that. So that's sort of my biggest takeaway from, from him and his music and, yeah do you have any favorites on there yeah i really liked um solid ground i really liked that one i like i went back and listened to the whole thing twice like i listened to it twice 
last night and that was one that stuck out to me as a, like one that was sort of catchy but also um like I just enjoyed the like the the flow of it and the sounds and stuff I liked Hero too and and uh You Ain't the Problem was cool too he kind of reminds me of Childish Gambino in a sense yeah like since that's sort of my like type of music that I listen to he kind of reminded me of Childish Gambino like he's sort of out there right like he does his own thing creates his own music that's like sort of very different from like mainstream stuff but I that's sort of the typical music that I enjoy just not soul more like hip-hop rap but anyways yeah so he kind of reminds me of Childish Gambino in that sense yeah I could see that uh I'm a yeah I'm a huge fan I said that before i love r&b music and soul music so this is like right in my wheelhouse standouts on the album honestly i could probably just pick every single one because there isn't one on there that i don't like and i love the little interludes that he has in between some of his songs too loving the people another human being final days those are all the little interludes that like they aren't straightforward mainstream songs they're more kind of just like in between songs that kind of connect the previous song with the song that's coming up um and i'm a big fan of when artists do that um i know stevie wonders someone that kind of pioneered that whole thing in the 70s i find that it just makes the album a lot more enjoyable as a whole it's kind of like telling a story for sure Two of the songs on there are ones that I listen to by themselves, but I never really, uh, You Ain't the Problem and Hero I listen to on their own, but the rest of it I only listen to if I'm listening to the entire album, just because I don't want to make it any of the, the, the songs sound old or anything by putting them on playlists and getting tired of any of it. So usually I kind of just put it on a shelf for a couple of months or whatever and then um when i feel like it come back and listen to the whole thing and then it sounds new again that's just kind of how i like listening to all of my music honestly yeah um so what kind of rating would you guys give it well yeah i guess i'm sort of the same way i love when albums are structured like that when they sort of tell a story and have intros and interludes and outros and all this stuff like giving a little sneak peek to next week's episode that's what my album does as well it tells a story and goes through different stuff and uh yeah so I don't know I would say like despite this not being my favorite type of or genre of music I would still just based on his his talent and the way that the album was structured I would say like I would probably give it like an eight how about you Mac I don't want to give a 9.5 because like it is very good but it's not like I like I, I can't I can't even think of an album that would be like a 9.5 or like a 10 or anything but I would definitely give it like a 9.2 I'd say 9.3 in that range between because like it's it just teeters over the edge slightly for me over a 9 because uh the variety like I said is so good his talent is on display in multiple in multiple facets and um I am like a huge uh kind of soulful kind of jazz vibe type guy when it comes to music so i can definitely appreciate all that and 
um you can definitely see when i listened to his second album the main focus was a lot of like kind of deeper thinking kind of like a more like like love wrenching type of uh material in his songs but with this you can see he's evolving to he's going like he's expanding his horizons he's going different directions and he's kind of like picking at everything which is uh something i look for in the album so i would say there's more of like a political tinge to this one than any of his other work Uh, his first his first album's a lot different than the other two as well it's more of like a r&b folk blend um probably the best comparison would be like bill withers i don't know if you've got you guys have really listened to him much but i've never listened to him i yeah i like but, bill uh, withers um you'd know you know like lean on me and yeah ain't no sunshine oh, yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. okay yeah but um definitely would go to it again definitely like top 10 albums of the decade for me and uh hopefully he uh kind of continues in this direction because uh i like it how are you yeah i'm the same i i wouldn't i don't think i could ever give an album a solid 10 because i don't know i don't think that there really is like a perfect album but that being said this is pretty well as close to perfect as you can get in my book so i would give it like a nine six or a nine seven oh my (laughs) yeah okay what do you guys think like goes into like creating a like a top song or top album and then like how do you think that's changed over like the last couple decades or even like five ten years ago like how do you think it a top song or top album has changed well apparently now your name has to be has to start with lil something so first you yeah. become lil something um um then so once you have your name and then you have to proceed to mumble a lot and then you have to add a really like ear piercing baseline like something <laughs> your grandchildren are going to feel <laughs> and then um and then you and then you just talk about nonsensical like, like it's just like random things like like mama's making grape juice Drugs, and stuff. Money. And you add in some uh you add in some black tar heroin, like this and there and folks, you got yourself a number one hit, that's what I'm saying. But I but <laughs> so that's uh, this today. is coming from like five years ago, um anything with pitbull in it, you got pitbull in it, you got a, you got a hit. Um 10 years ago you had to be a one hit wonder you had to be a teenager um friday and then um 20 years ago uh replay replay oh yeah that's a good song song just name your song replay there you go uh 30 years ago i don't even know what age oh yeah you had to be angsty and on the verge of constantly killing yourself and then 40 years ago uh, your name had to be madonna and then 50 years ago you had to be part of some british rock band who did way too much uh nose beers and um (laughs) and then beyond that my knowledge doesn't doesn't go any farther than that you just had to be a soulful jazzy guy and uh, maybe someone would pick you up 
Did you throw MJ in there? I didn't even I didn't even hear his name. Pardon? Michael Jackson, not Michael, Michael Jackson. Oh my god. What? I'm so confused. I don't know what's happening for it. All right, Matt, you go then. Yeah, I mean there's not much more that can be said after that monumental monologue, but um <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard question, and I think if I knew the answer to it, I would have a bunch of number one hits myself. Uh, Obviously, things change over the years, but I think um, really the formula that goes into making a number one song is really just dependent on who the number one artist is of the time. So those original guys that are coming out with stuff that's kind of changing the sound of modern popular music are the ones who kind of have a say in how everyone else is going to sound like yeah kanye kanye's definitely been very influential on modern rap and even just popular music um he's just the first name that comes to mind though i mean there's a ton of other artists in there uh even sometimes like just the one hit wonders and stuff too can have an effect on how music sounds but I think for the most part, it's generally those big um, influential artists that often affect what a number one hit is. Yeah. Because somebody comes out with a new album that's like groundbreaking and no one's ever heard music like that. And then every other artist that's similar to that artist goes, this is how you make a number one album. And then they go ahead and try and make the same thing. Right. And then that's why there's so much... Uh, homogeneity in today's music scene. Well, that's literally yeah. what happened in the in the fifties, and like they just yeah do old country songs. Yeah, they would just take like old country songs. Oh, you're talking like about with uh, Skiffle and um, Rockabilly. Yeah, and yeah, they would just they would just uh, make it more uh, make it more rock, make it more lighthearted and stuff when have a guy playing on the banjo be got someone with like electric guitar some drums and then there you go what do you what do you think Devin? i don't know i'm kind of whoa Whoa. i'm kind i'm kind of he's turning uh, into a real boy (laughs) yeah um i'm i guess i'm kind of the same way like i i i think most guys are like people like obviously popular artists are influenced by popular artists of five ten years ago and then the same it's like a trend that just keeps going it's like a chain that just keeps going back and back all the way to i don't know whenever music was first created but like i think for like current popular music definitely like the 20 like the early 2000s and like even like the early 2010s were like pretty influential for a lot of people like i don't know like who are some of the biggest ones now like Nicki minaj migos yeah i mean like even migos was like i think migos was one of the first ones that have like started this stupid mumble rap trend that's like really big now that i hope goes away soon like i don't know i i can't really think of other things that are sort of big right now that have surface i just recently, want mr low but... to come back well yeah i would love to see a comeback from pitbull i think uh i think one <laughs> thing 
that I've noticed a lot with like music that's popular with people our age, um, especially like the mainstream stuff, it always seems to have to be like hype. It has to yeah. be something that you can play at a at a party and that everyone it's like, can a, like ooh, ooh, ooh. it's like a bass and a beat, yeah. Like there's no ballads and there's no like it doesn't feel like there's enough like introspective lyrics or anything that really pushes the envelope in terms of like existential thought or even just new music in general. It's just like another different version of the same song that everyone's getting drunk to and going crazy over. But I mean, at that point it doesn't really matter, but yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Wasn't it, isn't there like a video where someone just took like every little pump song ever and then just like put it, side by side playing and they literally just make like one song that sounds the exact same <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me like this, it just creates this mega song that just like literally like is the same song god i hate him yeah you you hate is doesn't isn't he the one that sings that uh let's get it or whatever what's it called let's get, let's it. get it yeah it's let's yeah. get it <laughs> that's not music <laughs> it gets so the people going yeah. Yeah. It's provocative. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Kanye. Yeah. Since we recorded this episode two weeks ago, much has changed in the world. Another human interest story has become the most imperative topic of conversation for most people. Racism has plagued every aspect of society throughout history, but we shouldn't wait until every time somebody gets killed because of the color of their skin to speak out about it. Racism is a touchy subject for most people, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be talked about and confronted. Change is not only important, but necessary. Don't complain about how bored you are stuck at home during quarantine. Use this time to educate yourself on the issues of race and humanity. The world has changed in many ways, for good and for bad, in these past few months. Let's change it some more by stepping out from the shadows of a society poisoned by hate. Take action through education. Think with your hearts and stand together as one. Thank you. I've been low, I've been high, I've been sold all my lies. I've got nothing left to play. I've got nothing left to say. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white. I'm in love, but I'm still sad. I found peace, but I'm not glad. On my nights and on my days, I've been trying. I'm a black man in a white world. 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 I feel like I've been here before. I feel that knocking on my door. I feel like I've been here before. I feel that knocking on my door. And I've lost it.
I'm a black man in a white world.